0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Mentally Unscripted, your podcast where you listen to two regular guys talk about (laughs) complex topics and unpack them using mental models and other techniques to give you an idea of how to discuss these, uh, these ideas with your friends and family in a productive way. I am Paul. As always, I'm joined by the amazing, the profound Scott, who's trying to save the world. Scott, how are you today?
1: I'm good. Uh, just in the middle of the uh, marathon birthday celebrations, uh, but other other than that, yeah, we're doing well. How about you?
0: Uh, I I can't complain. I'm I'm not doing the celebrations. So the last two weeks were um, that's what we were doing. We we had uh, my birthday and then uh, our, our anniversary, and uh, it was it was a good time. Although my my wife had. Uh, had a terrible scare where we had to go to the ER, uh, deal with an eye issue, uh, you know, waking up, uh, and not being able to see out of nowhere is, uh, one of those experiences that you just, you, just, you don't want to wish on anybody, right? I mean, you lose a, a core sense making tool and, yeah, it's horrifying unfortunately it was it was the exact opposite of anything serious right we got there and they said oh no, this is a minor issue barely an inconvenience uh, but painful right uh, and so we, we got that fixed but uh yeah that that's that's <laughs> that's been my last week
1: yeah yeah I mean it's always good news to get to the doctor and have them look at you and say oh yeah this is no problem
0: so I yeah yes and I, and I want to put a special shout out I think um, I'm not sure on this podcast but sometimes i I don't think I've given a, a full perspective on doctors because I've had some some fairly poor experiences uh, for, for a variety of different reasons. I had an amazing experience when we went to the ER. Um, the doctor was just very effective, amazing bedside manner, uh, great communicator. And you have that kind of experience, especially when you're in the midst of, of confusion and frustration. And it is, it is night and day, right? It's, it's exactly what you need. And they can't always give you the answers you want. And uh, that's not their fault. They're doing the best they can. So I want to say a shout out to to all the doctors out there, uh, the doctors, the, uh, the nurses, anybody in the medical profession that, that does what they do every day to, to make us feel better in our, in our worst moments. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to put that out there.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, the uh, human body is pretty complex, and I think there's a <laughs> lot of uncertainty that doctors are facing when they're trying to deal with patients. Um, so I think that doc- the better the doctors are at helping you deal with the uncertainty, the better the experience is going to be.
0: So. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, well, that's, that's but, great uh, that
1: everything's okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Well, and I'm glad your celebration, your marathon celebrations are going well. I hope uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you, gain, you gain a couple of pounds at eating cake and food for, for four days straight.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll be uh, working extra hard in the uh, weight room next week, I'm sure.
0: Nice, nice. Well, uh, guys, we're super excited for another kind of addition of our interview um, we we uh, our last one was with uh, George Silverman and we, we talked a lot about the work that he was doing and uh, we wanted to have a, a different conversation with another person that we've met uh, and engaged with with some great content on Twitter and uh, today we're joined by Wisdom and Strategy. Wisdom how you doing today?
2: Hey doing well guys thanks for having me on. Oh absolutely
0: absolutely i I, I don't I'm trying to remember exactly it's, it's funny on Twitter. you don't always know when you connect with people. I feel like it was months ago that we kind of came across your account. Um, a lot of what you were sharing I think resonated with me, but may, maybe you can describe sort of your account, what what you put together and uh, what you're looking to share.
2: yeah no that's that's uh that's a good question i so you know I originally started the account, I think back in 2018 um, when I first put the website together and I really didn't do anything with it. And then I think it was the start of, it was probably the start of last year uh, when, I, when I started on the book. And I thought, well, so I'm working on this book and I, I need a way to promote it. And I'm like, well, I might as well learn Twitter, right? And so right. I, I think I took a similar path to what a lot of the folks on, on quote unquote, money Twitter take, right, is reading all the guides and mm-hmm. learning learning how to do it, like learning how to how to tweet and the the formatting and and the connection piece and and so on and so forth. And then over time, uh, the Twitter sort of took on a life of its own. And I'm like, well, and I think I still this is still something I I guess a, a challenge I'm working through, right? But it's it's really defining that niche, and I, I think. What what I'm looking at is from a from a few different angles, right? So there's a number of things that I like. I was telling you guys earlier. I like to learn. I like to research, and a, a handful of areas that are really very intriguing to me. And I thought, well, as I'm learning these things, wouldn't it be great to kind of kind of share those ideas with others, get the feedback, get the conversation? And so it really revolves around um, sort of a, a self improvement outlook overall. And I think that mm-hmm. with a focus on you know, career and business and relationships and leadership and just general growth and, and things like that. So.
0: Got it. So, so how do you feel like right now you're balancing between the, the as you said, Twitter, Twitter creates a life of its own. You're also working on this book that I know we're going to discuss. How, how do you think balance that with, with all the other uh, aspects of your life? How's that balance going?
2: I mean, I think it's pretty good. I, I think once the, once the book's done, Um, and that's, and you know, we'll get into that down the road here too. I think, I think my schedule to invest more time in Twitter is going to be freed up a fair amount too. Mm -hmm. But like for me, it's not super hard to get up in the morning and, you know, knock out six or seven tweets. Um, but some days it's, it's, it is tough, you know, and it's tough to find the, the creativity to it. And on those days I just don't tweet, you know, and I think that's something I'd like to, you know, that's a goal for the future, right. Is to, um. Get more regular, I think, with that too. But yeah, overall, it's it's not a not a huge time investment by any means, right? So, so
0: you know, it's, I have a similar experience uh, where I, I, I'm trying to think. I think I came into the the Twitter space uh, in you know, through what I guess I'll call crypto Twitter, uh, and um, what I found fascinating about crypto Twitter was that it was it was this really. Great way of aggregating a lot of information, identifying signal really quickly about complex topics and being able to go down rabbit holes really quickly. Somehow that linked into what we call money Twitter or self improvement Twitter, as as George likes to call it. (laughs) And I found this whole other space of people that are talking about e commerce and they're talking about, um, you know, doing e books and other types of, uh, I guess, you know, something related to money. Right. And uh, I, so I, I explored it and then it started to grow. And I, I think the, the my biggest misunderstanding about this entire space was the networking. Um, you, know, I, I, you know, I thought about it as one of, one of the tools I thought about was, was like finding information. So using it more as my like interpersonal search engine where I'm using people like Balaji as an example to find information. Uh, and then, you know, there's the promotion aspect of it where you, as you said, you kind of have a, a lander and you're able to share your information and get it out there. And then there's there's just a the networking side. I mean, we we would, I, I don't know how we would have met if not for Twitter, right? Right. So I, I guess, what's your perspective on like the biggest kind of aha moment you've had going through this process?
2: So I think, I think to your point, <clears throat> just the, just the sheer potential to connect with with, you know, just a variety of people on Twitter, like that, that to me has just been um, amazing, you know, and and it's, it's people like we were talking earlier, I mean, people from all over the world, you know, and and I have a, I have a real strong group of probably seven or eight friends that I have on here. And, and, uh, you know, we just we learn from each other. And the thing is, one of one of my friends, Nisha, she mentioned that um, we were talking about systems the other day, And she's like i i can't think of and i'm paraphrasing of course but she's like i can't think of anyone else in my non-twitter life that i can talk about systems with and i'm like (laughs) you know that's that's totally true for me too and actually have like real granular conversations about what is a system you know how how is it applied in real life kind of thing and that's just an example but yeah
1: Yeah. that's yeah like george said i mean technology has repealed geography um, so it makes it much easier for us to connect with people from all over the world, um, sharing similar interests. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, I, I'm curious, I'm I'm a huge cynic. So a lot of the times, I'll be honest, when I read Twitter, and I read some of the stuff that people are putting up there, my first thought is, okay, now is this true? Um, and we know that there's there's a lot of genuine people on there. But there's also a lot of people who are on there just trying to sell a vision or sell something that they themselves really aren't living. So have you, have you run into any issues with the people that you've run across on Twitter? Maybe not uh, living up to the ideals that they're espousing out there.
2: Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> more, more than I'd like. Yeah. I, so, and, and mostly it's, it's from, I guess I would say a passive perspective, right? Like you, <clears throat> you read this content, these people put out and you know, they, they kind of, um, their, their, their big overarching mindset is, Hey, I'm, I'm a leader. I'm someone who, you know, who is virtuous, da 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 da. And then it's, it's so much kind of chest dumping, right? Like, look at me, look how great I am. Look, I have X thousand followers on Twitter. And I just, I mean, and a lot of people like that. And to me, it's, it's, it's such a huge turnoff. Like I just, I mean, I, I feel more inclined to just, kind of real, authentic, humble people that you can, you can, you know, just discuss ideas with. So,
1: yeah, I, yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely where I found it, uh, you know, found the, the value in Twitter as well. And I think it's when you can start talking to people outside of the public forum of Twitter and start talking to them more directly through DMs uh, that I think you really get a, you, you can really start to get a sense of who they are as a person. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's, so, you know, Twitter as a platform, it seems like it can amplify the good and the bad uh, very, very quickly. And uh, I I recall an incident, I want to say, you know, last summer, last fall, two accounts. um, I I, I don't remember exactly what what sparked it, but uh, there was a claim of plagiarism by, by one of the accounts. And the other one just went, quote unquote, nuclear on them. And yep. for three days was just tweeting nonstop about everything that they had said that they, you know, they perceived as a lie, telling everybody, stop following this person, um, you know, um, and I'll I'll give you something else. I'll give you a like or something like that. And um, it's, a, it's a fascinating arena to watch these battles play out. Right. Because, I mean, followers are your sort of your asset. Right. Sitting <laughs> sitting on your balance sheet. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone attacking that asset, it can go overnight. I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of what the media covers is is what happens when, uh, when the when the platform shuts you down. Well, what what about when you're being attacked on the platform by other people? And so you have this this shift in sentiment around your um, around your content. And uh, so it, it it is. I think you have that, and I, I think they've since actually patched it up uh, for whatever that's worth. And then you have the other side of it, which. You know, I think really good ideas can spread. Sometimes oversimplified, right? I, I think there's there's a, a a perception when you read something that it's it's sort of fully thought out and, and and etched in stone. Kind of like, I mean, you know, if you're raised reading books, a book is a, a finished product; it's gone through multiple editing cycles. You know, an ebook, less so. And then all of a sudden, you get to the internet. Someone can write a, a tweet in the morning and delete it by night because they realize maybe that wasn't the best idea. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um. So, I, I guess, how, how do you think about that? I mean, you, you, like you said, you're doing six or seven tweets. I mean, I, I looked at my account, I think I had a couple thousand tweets. How many ideas have you put out there that you've later gone back and said, my gosh, what was I thinking?
2: <laughs> I, you know, <clears throat> I think the only time I I, I delete tweets is when I, I, I guess, and, you know, like you say, I, I usually it's when I wake up in the morning. I'm like, that is a low-quality tweet. I'm getting rid of that. You know, and yeah. it's not – I, you know, and it may be it may be just the writing style, it may be the format, or it may be the idea is old and tired and not something that I you know I authentically find interesting. And I think yeah. that that you know I'm kind of thinking out loud, but I think more and more just just conveying that authenticity is is one of the most important things to me. And I think the the challenge that a lot of people struggle with on Twitter is I mean you got you have you have, I guess, two competing things, right? So you, you have the algorithm, which you need to put out so much content to maintain, you know, assuming you want to grow. And then of course the quality factor. And I think a lot of folks, you know, they talk about putting out platitudes and, and, and I, I think I've, I've been at fault for that too, a time or (laughs) a time or two, um, (laughs) more than that probably. But, uh, but, um, you know, I think the, the question to answer is, is that is this really something that's going to be helpful to people, you know, and, and and is it genuine and is it true? So,
0: yeah,
1: well,
2: one thing I, I keep in mind is that platitudes are platitudes for a reason,
1: um, usually because they're true and sometimes it's nice to just be reminded of things. Um, if your, yeah. your day's going bad and you log into Twitter and you see something on there that is just a 100% platitude, but it's still, it's nice to get that refresher and helps put things back in perspective. So I don't look down on them so much. Um, I know some people do, um, but I, I don't view them as necessarily a bad thing. As long as you're you know getting in the, getting a lot of original content out there, the occasional platitude
2: is is perfectly fine as far as I'm concerned. Do you guys find that you, do you deal much with the, the whole concept of uh, imposter syndrome when you're, when you're writing? Okay. And then I, I maybe a, a second question to that is, is that that does when you're putting tweets out there does outside, like, what is this, what is this person going to think about this tweet? You know, like, so say you have folks that you admire on Twitter, right. That follow you. It's like, how, how will this be received by this? Does that in- impact your creativity at all or not so much?
1: Scott? Um, so imposter syndrome,
2: definitely. Um, in fact, I wrote a
1: blog post article about it about a year ago um, because it's just something that's there. Um, and I, I don't know how to get rid of it. Uh, you know, as far as wondering about whether certain accounts are going to like this tweet or that, um, I don't know. Maybe back when I first started, That was something that I considered, but these days, uh, I don't know. I just, I think I've just started to develop that sort of asshole mentality, I guess, to where I just, (laughs) I I don't care so much about what other people think. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, maybe if someone who I do interact with a lot, like Paul or, or you or someone were to come back and say, Hey, that was a really kind of, you know, that tweet, you know, crossed some sort of boundary, then, you know, I would probably do something about it, but I don't necessarily write my tweets with that in mind. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I think on the imposter syndrome, I mean, when I started this process, I was, I was really relying on my experience, um, in the, in the workforce and sort of what I was learning from that. Uh, so, uh, you know, having a decade or more, uh, a longer period or, you know, a lot of experience and, and, and some legitimate success. I mean, I, I I didn't burn out. Um, I, I didn't feel like I was, I was failing, um, or, or sort of an imposter with what I was sharing because a lot of it came from my experience. Uh, there's, so I think less the imposter syndrome. Um, I, I, uh, some of it is, is a little bit on the, on the boundary, right? So, I mean, when you're, when you're exploring new frontier and you're sharing about that, right, some of it still isn't, isn't baked. And so you're, you're I think some of that, I, I can feel that a little bit like, am I, am I going out there on, on in an area that that's less explored, but I still like the idea and I still want to share it. Uh, So that's, that's part of it. Um, I think in terms of sharing information, I mean, I I think I shared kind of this concept. This was funny. I got a lot of pushback, but it was a, it was a comment I made comparing people that I knew that went to Ivy league and I I went to state and uh, comparing sort of their approach to complaining about things on, on Facebook uh, versus actually trying to go out and do something about it. So I, I mentioned the Ivy League um, point, which was like, which was trying to reference it or anchor it to this concept of they, they've had great opportunities. These are smart people, capable people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't for a second think that you went into Harvard or Yale or Penn uh, because you have um, a low IQ or you're incapable, right? Um, quite the opposite. But when you when you have those opportunities and you don't use them uh, and, and what you're doing is just wailing about how, how society is unfair, um, it's it's even more of a slap to the face to everyone who doesn't have those opportunities, right? Or 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 maybe some of that 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 potential. So I put that out there and I got all this pushback uh, from people being like, You have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, I, I went to state and Ivy, state's so easy. And and I, I was trying to comment on the fact that I, I went back to him. I said, well, "What was the what was the point I was trying to make here?" I said, "I mean, and this one person was like, 'You, you, you know, you have you, you don't know what you're talking about.'" I said, "Well, actually, you no, know, I know loads of people that that did exactly what I'm just describing. Well, then it's a selection bias. I, said, I went to boarding school. I get it. I I know I know who these people are. You can tell me what you want, but um. So so we kind of went back and forth. What I found was that people were replying to that comment." Um, with their own bias, right? They didn't want to engage in the actual concept of this idea that, like, you know, it, you graduate top of your class, or or whatever the case, you, you're born with money, you're born at the top of the class, you've got a good head on your shoulders, and then you you use it for ill versus good, right? Uh, and and by ill, I mean like you know, just creating exhaust in society rather than actually trying to create anything of productive value. Um, some people have that and some people don't. And some people that don't do, do a good job. It's not, I mean, there's another side of it that's true that like, I mean, let's face it, you go to Harvard, you graduate top of the class, you go on to, to get another degree somewhere, you've got an amazing network, which is bar none, which, which positions you probably better than most other opportunities to be a very influential, powerful and and wealthy figure. That's just statistically true. Right. But that's not the point. Point is, if you have all those opportunities and you don't take advantage of them, and you're not helping, then. Then what in the hell are you doing? Yeah, right. It's, it's kind yep. of conceptually, but so yeah. I mean, I don't think um, I'm not trying to be out there to to pick a fight. Um, and I, most of the stuff that I put out there, I don't think is you know that controversial. I think audience capture, you know, this idea that I don't want to say something that's going to upset the people that are kind of my patrons, if you will, um, is 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 a fine line, right? Uh, depends on what you're talking about. I mean. Uh, If, if you're sharing information that's intended to like get people pissed off and motivated, then you're, you're kind of, you know, then all of a sudden you start saying nice things and platitude thinking, what the hell is this? Maybe it's just, I mean, that's what you want to share. Do you want to stop sharing that? I don't know.
1: Uh Uh Right. Like, you you know, marketing 101 is to, you know, don't be afraid to be a little polarizing. If you're going after 100% of the market, you're just going to come out bland and you're going to end up with none of the market. Um. So it's better to go for 50% of the market or 40% of the market and, you know, be willing to piss off another part of the market because they don't like what you're saying. Um, I, I think that's, from what I can tell, I mean, that that seems to definitely hold a lot of truth. Um, yeah. So, you know, you don't want to be just a milk toast, you know bowl of plain oatmeal out there right you, you got to be the the cinnabon flavored super sugar charged oatmeal <laughs> that you know some the, people the, just yeah some people are going to love and some people are just going to you know run past in the grocery store aisle because there's too much sugar in it so um, i
0: was going to say you could be the vegan non-gmo <laughs> yeah. super yeah. super healthy version too right, right? yeah well wisdom what, what do you think about you know what we just shared in terms of imposter syndrome
2: yeah, I, well, I think, I, think, I think you're right in the, in the fact that, um, you know, when you have that experience, then I, I think I think you should feel justified in, in sharing it and, and you shouldn't let those doubts get to you. I, I think where a lot of people struggle, you know, and, and maybe, it, it, you know, it's interesting in writing the book. One thing that I learned is, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff that, so say just in, in, in my situation, there's there's a lot of stuff that I know. And then I look at, you know, people day to day and it's like, everybody knows this, right? This is not, this is not, you know, earth shattering stuff. And the thing is, when you think about it, it's like, well, do they, you know, and maybe they don't. And I think, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and and so with that, and, and, you know, like I was saying before, it's, it's a constant learning process and I think it's steadily evolving and I'm getting better at sharing those, those things that, you know, that, um, I've overlooked sharing in the past for that reason. So, um, but I think going back to Scott, what you were saying, when you're just starting out, I think, I think it's a lot more, um, more of a factor. Right. And I think as you just, as you write more, and as you share more, you get better at it and, and, uh, you'll feel more free to, to share that stuff. So, right. Mm-hmm.
1: As, especially if you're straying into an area, that's really not your area of expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I have a finance degree an MBA and a law degree. I don't have a neuroscience degree or a psychology degree, but you know, I still tweet a lot about mental models and cognitive biases and logical fallacies. So it's it's not exactly an area I've been trained in. Um, so it's it's yeah, it's real easy at that point to feel like an imposter. You know, wondering like, is this Dunning Kruger coming into effect here? You know, am I am I oversimplifying this? And So you have to be open to input from people who maybe know a little bit more than you do. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the other thing, too, is just because, you know, if you know a little bit about something, there's probably a lot of people out there who would love to have just that little bit of knowledge. Right. Uh, You know, I heard somebody say something once and, you know, this certainly isn't true across the board. But if you read a good book on a subject, you probably already know more about that subject than, you know, 50 or 60 percent of the people out there by just doing that little bit of, 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 uh, the background study. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to always keep that in mind, you, you know, something that seems like common knowledge to you is something that someone else has probably never even thought of.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree.
0: I, I actually think that's a great segue into talking wisdom about the book that you're working on. Uh, because I, I know we spoke, I think, uh, offline when we originally connected and you were, you were, um, I think some of those themes, this idea of like, you know, I think um, this idea is common knowledge, but when I, when I explore it, I find that a lot of people, it's an aha
2: moment for them.
0: So maybe you can, you can talk a little bit about the book you're writing and sort of the, um, the genesis of why you decided to write it.
2: Yeah. No, thank you. So basically, um, you know, it's interesting going back to to one thing, one thing you'd said, Paul, about, um, you know, the Ivy League. Ivy League school versus just going to a state school. And I I went to a state school as well. I, you know, I think that the folks that, that, you know, have the silver spoon, right. They get all set up in the beginning. And I think, you know, they go through their career and it's, it's kind of a layup for a lot of those folks. And, you know, some of them, some of them have the talent, some of them don't. And I think some of them, you know, certainly exercise the talent. And again, you Mm -hmm. know, some of them don't, they kind of lean on, how they were set up in the beginning. And that was a thing that, that I think really inspired me to write the book. I, so, you know, my, my history is I, I, I got a degree in something that was very unrelated to the career that I chose. And yet I was able to, you know, rise up fairly high in, in the corporate hierarchy. And, and a lot of it I did just by really digging in and utilizing the talents that I had and expanding in those talents and, and outworking, you know, a lot of my competitors. And so, you know, I, I, I guess that was kind of my, my initial inspiration, right? Cause they're thinking that there may be people, you know, young people who don't have everything kind of set up for them nicely. Um, you know, they want to have success in their career and they're willing to work for it, but th- they haven't gone down that road before. You know, they don't have a roadmap to, to uh, really show how to get there. And so I started writing it And it got to be, the scope got way beyond what I wanted it to be. Because I I started with the beginner, more of the beginner focus. And then I was getting more into kind of the advanced, I don't know, advanced um, advancement strategies, if that's that's (laughs) a way of saying it, I guess, (laughs) towards the latter part of the book. And it's like, I'm going to cut this part off. I'm going to save this for a next book, you know, provided I I write one, which I think I will. Um, And so I'm like, hey, let's let's go A to Z. You know, let's let's take someone, say, just out of just out of college or someone who is in a position where they want to change their their career. Maybe they've worked in a certain industry and they want to get into, you know, something something more, um, you know, more of the corporate corporate focus Um, or even folks that that had been maybe they own their own business. Right. And they've come to the point, hey, I'm tired of running this business. I want to just go and work for someone else. But they don't know the first thing about interviewing or they don't know the first thing about you know um you know kind of maintaining good relationships with your coworkers and and you know those types of things so yeah that was really the the, the impetus
1: yeah that's a that's an interesting take you see a lot of books about people trying to escape the corporate world to go work for themselves but not a lot about people wanting to go the other direction
2: mm-hmm
0: Yeah, I I agree that that's, uh, especially, I mean, as we said, in self-approving or money Twitter, right? The the hate that you, (laughs) you mentioned you're in corporate world. It's like, you know, leave the castle, leave, leave, leave the enemy. It's, it's time to abandon them and just, you know, fling yourself into the, to the wild world of the online entrepreneur. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) College Mm -hmm. sucks. Nine to five sucks. Everything sucks. If you're not working for yourself. Um,
0: that's right. That's right. So, so I I guess I, I agree. It's a, it's a fascinating take. Um, to, to, I guess, what was your what was your process, the research process? How did, how did you come about? Because, I mean, you know, you mentioned a scope creep kind of came in. Like, yep. it started to bloom, which, which I think any of us <laughs> that's ever worked on a project can appreciate. Yeah. But, but how did you go about, like, researching or gathering your facts or your thoughts for this?
2: Yeah, so a lot of it was just, you know, I, I'd been in corporate for, God, I want to say over 15 years or so. So, you know, just a lot of it really came from past experience. Um, in the beginning I did quite a bit of research too, and just really just reading career books and reading, you know, job hunting books and things like that to kind of get what's the mainstream take on this. And then I found out my take is maybe not as mainstream as, as other people's takes. Um, and so then I just marinated on that a bit and I actually bought this software, which was awesome for writing. I don't know if you guys have have used Scrivener at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, abs- absolutely love Scrivener. It's so easy uh, just to kind of you know get up in the morning and say, hey, I'm going to write 500 words and you have your you have your outline already prepared and then you can just work on that little block without having all the other text you know you, you need to worry about. so mm-hmm. And so I just I, I... then I had to learn more about the writing process. And I didn't know the whole concept of you know write then edit. And so I, I spent probably the first four to five months writing it where I'd write a little bit, edit that sentence, write, edit, write, edit, go back and forth like that. Right. I see Scott, Scott's nodding. He knows. And, and so, and so then I'm like, well, let's read some books on this, which I did. And I read some fantastic things um, from Joshua. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, mispronounce his last name. probably. I think it's Like um, I, I bought his course and kind of learned the process that I used going forward then was brain dump, right? Just get it all on the page and then go back and edit and that, that helped a lot too so um, and I guess just to put a bow on it I, I think it's just a matter of I think of it as once the, once the manuscript the rough draft version was basically done, I've just been breaking through it, right? I'm on my second editing um, phase right now. I plan on doing one more to go through it and then I need to do just a few more things to button it up. But yeah, that's been the process so far.
1: That yeah, sounds great. Yeah. Um, I, I go through the same thing in writing. I will write a sentence, sometimes not even a whole sentence. I'll write half of a sentence and then go back and start editing it. Um, one thing that helped me is just the the idea of just doing a brain dump. I was having difficulty with that. So I've I switched my mind frame from... That initial draft isn't really a first draft. It's a zero draft that's more of just a very wordy and robust outline.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I picked that up from James Patterson. Um, I took his writing master class, and that's kind of the way he does it, where he does just these very, very long and detailed outlines that essentially okay. end up becoming the story. He just goes back and adds detail to it later. Um, and when I started thinking of it like that, um, it got easier for me. But, you know, the, at the end of the day, it's still the same same thing. I imagine if we were to compare our notes, uh, they would look
2: a lot alike. It's just for me, I had to reframe it uh, into this idea that I was just doing an outline. I think that's a good way to look at it, too, because you're you're less like you don't have that voice in your head, you know, that self-condemnation. It's like, what are you writing? Right. You know? right. It's like you give yourself freedom to write poorly for a while. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And being somebody who you know, back when I was in high school, a lot of times my first draft was my last draft too. Uh, I was just one of those people. <laughs> I was one of those lucky people that didn't have to work on it. And so as I've gotten older and the comp- and the topics have gotten more complex, getting past that mindset that the, the first draft is the last draft is, uh, it's, it's difficult. Sometimes it's hard to outgrow old habits.
0: So, so I guess what is wisdom? How do you see writing now this type of this type of writing, do you see it as, as creation or do you see it as assembly?
2: I see it as both. And I, I, I I would throw discovery into the mix too. And that's, and that's the cool thing I've been learning about, about writing over the past year and a half is that, you know, there's likely for pretty much everybody, right? There's a lot of ideas that are kind of half baked lingering in the background that you've never verbalized before. And And I think that as I wrote, I remembered things and, you know, realizations and, you know, facts and things like that, that I had never really come into conscious light. And so I think it's, I think it's really all all three of those things. I think it's the creation, the discovery and the assembly really together. And um, what is I read, I read someplace where they said, you know, there's really no brand new ideas. Right. And I think of, uh, I think of you know there's nothing new under the sun kind of thing, and I think that I think that's true. I do think it's true. I think combinations are new, and I think that um, you know perspectives on existing ideas are certainly new. Yep. And so I think a lot of it's just just a matter of it, putting that all together and and um, you know putting your own your own creative spin on it.
0: So, so do you? I mean, out of this process, I have to imagine you've come up. I mean, you you've discovered as You've said sort of the, these these three different buckets of of what that process looks like. you probably have a refined like if you you said, okay, you know you're done with this book now it's time to go to the second one. You've now got a refined way of looking at writing,
2: yeah, yeah, and the next book is going to be a ton faster too like right. you know <laughs> and and i think I think a lot of it is um having that from the get go getting as good a, as good a outline structure as you can, but then knowing that as you write more, right. As you write more of the, 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 the body content, that structure is going to change. And, yeah. you know, so it's very cyclical, but I, I can tell you for sure, like when I started the next book, it's going to be, it's going to take me half the time, if not less.
0: Sure. So uh, Scott, did you have something? Excited, uh, uh, oh yeah. Just a question. quick
2: question. Um,
1: your idea or your, your, Strategy of combining ideas in new ways. I really like that. It kind of it reminds me of Scott Adams that talked about skills. He looked at skills the same way. Like you don't have to be the best artist or the best writer if you can stack your skills in a way that no one else is doing it, then you can get a leg up on everyone. And so I like that idea with or I like that same strategy with with ideas, but ideas together in new and interesting ways. Do you have a strategy that you follow for doing that?
2: You know, nothing nothing defined at this point. And I think the, the first time I heard of that concept uh, was, uh, I don't know if you all have read James Altucher's book, and I, I'm struggling to think of the name of it right now, but he talked about uh, idea sex. Mm -hmm. where you know these ideas come together and and that was really what made me think of it you know the first time but um you know i i don't really have a definite strategy i i think the whole thinking process for me is you know you have your concentrated work time and then you go off and do something else so you go for a run Mm -hmm. or you go for a walk and then sometimes the the best ideas just sort of naturally occur to you as you're doing that that's what I found, anyway. All right. So, do you uh, keep a notepad with you, or do you have one of those uh, shower-proof uh, notepads that you <laughs> to to write down ideas? You know, I should I should get a, a shower-proof one because I, I get a lot of good ideas in the shower. But um, I have a notebook, so that was something I learned learned from Twitter um, about a nice like a nice high quality notebook I carry with me. But I do a lot with Evernote too. I love Evernote. Mm, okay.
0: Yeah, I, uh, this reminded me of a, a partner back in the day where, where we're sitting in a room. He, he had a cronut, um, which I'd never had. He's like, have you ever had a cronut? I said, no. He's like, man, you know, that's what I keep on telling people, man. These things, I, I, they're not that amazing, but all you got to do is you have to have a Excel sheet. And and you know the the column headers are, are ideas the uh, the rows are different ideas you just go and mix and match them and you figure out what, what it is so you just wanted to put a bunch of pastries on the top and a bunch of variables on the going <laughs> down the rows and just come up with new ideas yeah I, um, it's funny because when he said that the the biggest uh, I'd say that the concept that leapt out of me was he was systemizing in a very pragmatic way, how to create that idea sex. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so there's, there's this mysticism about how to new ideas come about. Right. Like, and and we, we have these, these myths about these people. And and I guess in some ways they're true. I mean, a, a good example is, um, uh, so I, I worked as a cook back in the day, uh, love cooking. So I've got a whole collection, large collection of cookbooks. One of them is from a place in Napa Valley and one of the dishes in this book it's it's a great great restaurant uh, i think it's uh, terras the name of it but uh he he talks about uh, how he screwed up a dish right so he he forgot that it was on the uh, the oven or on the stovetop and it, it it solidified it changed its structure but it inspired a brand new dish right so that that's kind of the myth concept of you know mistakes uh, explosion in a laboratory these brand new ideas come out And then on the other side, you have my partner, who's just a very pragmatic, smart guy, very pragmatic, very solution oriented. He -hmm. applies KISS, you know, keep it simple, stupid on everything he does. And he uh, he's just like, no, just just create a a worksheet, a spreadsheet and just go figure out what it is. You know, so it's like creativity can come from wherever it comes from. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. You just got to be open to it, I guess.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder why every time I leave something on the stove, it just ends up as a mess. Not some new. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's, your, guess,
0: it's your twenty-year creative process. Right? At some yeah. point, you'll get something.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I leave a mess in the kitchen, that's just what I'll tell my girlfriend. Well, no, I'm just experimenting. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, Wiz, one thing, one thing I have difficulty with is I I end up with notes all over the place, and I'm not very good about going back and. Processing them after the fact mm. and turning them into anything usable. Um, so, what do you, what's your strategy for that? Do you have like one day a week that you go through Evernote and you look at all
2: this stuff and figure out what you're going to do with it, or, or how do you handle that? You know, so I, I I use it more like a reference file. And I think if there's a if there's a project I'm working on, I mean then you know, for sure those I'll go back and review a lot of the stuff is just things that occur to me that, Hey, I'd like to read this more in depth in the future. Or, um, you know, I, I use it both for, you know, the, the, the writing stuff and also just like my day to day life. So, you know, I'll have to do lists in there and I'll have, um, I'll have, uh, you know, just something that occurs to me. And th- and that's, I think that's, for me is my biggest priority. I mean, I'll I'll get back to answering your question in a minute, but like when you have these ideas to to get them down on paper or get them down in Evernote, literally as soon as you have them, because if you don't for me anyway, that there's a good chance I'll lose them. Mm. And, you know, they may not be gold, but I mean, I don't know. Sometimes they are, you know? So, but like, for instance, like I'll put tweet drafts in Evernote too. And, and those I go back to regularly. Um, so just like, I'll have, I'll have a, a notebook for new tweets, and then um, once I copy paste it into Twitter or Zappo or whatever I'm using, then I'll just move it into use tweets in case I ever decide to use it again. So, and those I review pretty regularly.
0: Interesting. So, so I guess another question, and, and uh, this is a great conversation. I, I didn't realize we were going to go so much in the process, but it's fascinating to hear sort of your what you've come about having to you know come up with a book how much you know if you have to look back on it you, you obviously you talked about taking uh josh That's that's hopefully we're not just I think that's right mind. yeah <laughs> um you, you took his course uh you t- you took inspiration from some other books like did you do an immersion as you were going through this process of like getting in and like trying to gather a bunch of tools and courses mm-hmm. uh and then on the outside you're now you know is is that because i know you mentioned you kind of did it iteratively did you kind of at some point do an immersion where you just d- did a bunch of those courses to kind of refine?
2: Yeah, I would say it, it was on, I'm just trying to think when when COVID actually hit. And that actually kind of, for, for writing purposes, that actually, you know, if any good came from that, I think that, that maybe for me personally was good because it gave me a bit more time to, you know, stay at home and write. But um, yeah, so like I started the book, I want to say it was basically the start of of January, 2020, and then I was probably about three months into it and struggling with the process. Like, this is really, I don't know how to do this. I've never done this before kind of thing. And so, yeah, I did exactly that. I I got, uh, you know, Kindle Unlimited, which is sometimes it's, it's, I don't know, some of the books you get on there are good. Some of them are not so good, but I, you know, I've read probably nine or 10 books on writing eBooks, right. And just learned that. And then that was all within the span of about a, about a month. And then I got Josh's course probably some you know close to the same time frame. And then I read a few other things and and yeah. And so once I did that, then I was able to put that into practice. And I haven't really read any books on writing I think since then. So, so,
0: so what would be your recommendation? So I, I, I guess this this is a topic that I I, I think is really fascinating is sort of this idea of like immersion like you just described which is reading a bunch of books taking this course like reaching kind of a, a critical mass level if you will in terms of of understanding of what the topic is and what you need to do like from a mm-hmm. skill-based perspective right so yep. um you know th- there's that there's the other side of it where where people argue like no just go out there and do it um, you know like read one good book and just do it and so h- how do you think about that now having gone through this do you, do you think like hey if I had you know, just taking this one course that probably would have been enough and I just needed to work on it. Or actually I, I I really did get more value out of the immersion process.
2: You know, I think so a lot of, a lot of how I operate is from a gut feel. And Mm -hmm. if I'm feeling in my gut that I don't know enough about this, I mean, sure. I could, I could learn it by doing. And I think that'd be fine. I think, I think the timeline would be extended by a whole lot though. And I was, you know, um, a, a early um, influencer for me, anyway, back uh, one of my, my self improvement journey um, was Tony Robbins, and I know you know I know a lot of people kind of well, you know they don't I don't know if I don't know if a lot of mainstream folks take take that work serious or not, but I I did and I found a lot of value in it right yeah. and there's one section I think it was Unlimited Power uh, I think it was his first book where he talked about modeling. And, you know, if you want to learn how to do anything, the argument he puts forth is you model other people. And, you know, if, if you know, best case is when you're with them in person and you can you can talk with them and, and model their, you know, their, their, depending on what you're trying to do, right? Their, their speech pattern, their physiology, their, you know, how they move, how they sit, how they talk, all that stuff. Um, but, you know, second best would be autobiographies or in the case of authors, you know, books that they've written on how to write a book. And so, you know, for me, I I can tell you for sure that, that had I not done that immersion process, I never would have gotten the book done. Um, just on my own. So,
0: yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, so, so let's, let's get a little bit more into the content of the book. Uh, so it's it's all about looking at, uh, how to, how to think about your career, uh, Mm -hmm do you have a a perspective on what most people are getting wrong? Or, or, you know, this is sort of the basic idea of like what they, what maybe wrong thoughts or false beliefs or, you know, assumptions that they make that aren't, aren't allowing them to think clearly about their next step.
2: You know, I think a lot of people get into their career, um, without really thinking about ahead of time what they want to do. And you know, I mean it's it's easy to say decide what you want to do from the get go without having any experience, right? And but the thing is maybe they work in a certain role for a number of years and they really don't like it, but they make themselves, you know, continue to go back to that same job day after day after day after day. And I think that's why there's a lot of what is it? I think was it Thoreau that said the the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation? And I think it's, it's, that's the dynamic that sort of creates that, you know, working in a job, in a job you hate. And it's not that you necessarily don't like working, you know, or even working for someone else. It's that it's, you know, whether it's the people or whether it's the actual job, or maybe your talents and skill sets aren't suited for it, whatever reason, you know, they're, they're not happy with, with, with where they're at. And so I think that, um, I'm sorry, Paul. I got what was your what was your original question? I kind of kind of yeah. Myself. No,
0: I, actually. So it's uh, I was trying to understand like, or when people what assumptions are people making about their career uh, that prevents them from making it more fruitful and enjoyable? Um,
2: I I think that I well just from conversations I've had I think it's the feeling that I'm locked in here and I can't do any better and there's nothing else I can do. So I'm just going to stay here. I think, I think that's the, that's mm. the assumption that a lot of people have. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: And, and in your book, do you, how do you approach the topic? Do you, uh, like for example, do you give them a template of questions to ask? Do you give them uh, kind of a, like maybe your own story? So something they can model? How, how do you approach that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do go into my own story a bit. Um, a lot of it is just so giving them those things to think about and really clarifying mm-hmm. what, you know, what you do want. And so just, a, I, I lay it out in such a way. And I wrote this with the mindset where, you know, if I was to write this to say my son or my daughter, what would be, you know, what would be the things I'd want them to know from the get go. And so, so yeah, I, I, to answer your question. So I, there's a section where I go through, you know, talking about motivation, you know, discovering what really drives you right clarifying what you want um you know and here are some things that motivate some people some examples of things and it's not all money right it's it's some Mm -hmm. for some people it's the money for some people it's the um you know the 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 pride in knowing that they did a job well done for some people it's um you know being able to really stand on their own two feet and not depend on you know their family or, you know, their, their parents to, uh, you know, pay for their lifestyle kind of thing. So just a, just a handful of motivations and then it closes with, you know, now think about this and what are, you know, what do you think your motivation might be and and solidifying that up front.
0: Yeah. <laughs> makes sense. I, I remember, uh, we had a team dinner. I think there were about 10 or 12 of us. And, uh, I think the oldest people at the table were probably, uh, late, 50s um youngest people at the table were probably you know young 20s so we had a a, you know probably average was like mid 30s young 30s people at different stages of their careers and um so i just i put out the the game i said okay tomorrow you get uh 10 million dollars what do you do with it and uh i asked the question because to me it gave me insight into what they actually want and um Going around the table, I found that no one had contemplated what they wanted long-term out of their lives, right? right. So if you had someone who said, and, and, and I think you, you wrote a great tweet about this, um, clarifying your motivations, accelerate your success about the acre of diamonds. And uh, I, I thought that was just talking about intentions and motivations of what you want out of life. I thought it did a really nice job. Uh, that thread did. Well, thank you. Nobody Nobody really had thought about what they wanted right? They were sort of just going through the motions. And, uh, you know, you've got $10 million, what can you do with it? And I said, the one thing that you can't do is invest it. No one, no one had any dreams. No one said, you know what? I I, I want to start this project I've always wanted to do. And it was, uh, honestly, it was a little sad for me to hear that people hadn't thought about that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it also was a reflection. I was asking myself the same question. So it's like, it's, It's easy, and I think this is what you were saying at the beginning. It's easy for people to just get set into a track and assume that's the only track they can go on, and assume that you know they have to they have to be there for the money or the the prestige or the stability, without ever asking, "Well, is is there anything else that I want to ask for my life?" Right. Um, Which to me is uh, it's sad. I I don't know. Do you have a similar experience? Different.
2: Yeah, I, I I think I think that's uh, I think you're spot on with that. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that one thing that that you know I've dealt with. I'm sure a lot of pe- other people have dealt with in the corporate space is, um, you know, in the back of your mind, it's it's that that sense of fear where you know, well, what were to happen if you know, and and I think that that's the other thing a lot of people deal with, and just that sense of if I take this risk, what if I don't get the job or what if I get fired or whatever? Yeah. And, um, and I think that's why a lot of people don't have those dreams, right? And they don't have those, those goals set up is cause they just, they're not, they're not willing to take the risk. They've never, they're, ne- they've never visited that, that idea. What's the worst case thing that can happen to mm-hmm. me and become comfortable with it, yeah. you know? So yeah. I, I think that's I think that's a big part of it, is just becoming comfortable with with the worst case. Yeah. And I think we all struggle with that and I, I certainly do too. But once you're comfortable with that, I think it gives you a lot of freedom.
1: Yeah, wasn't there some research done that showed that people will put more effort into avoiding risk um than they will into trying to take a chance or something like that? Um I've heard that, yeah. yeah, yeah like that. Essentially we'll 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 take the certain or the the less risky choice. Um, Even if the payoff of taking a chance is huge, Um, Mm -hmm. I think is maybe the best way to say it.
0: We're Um, uh, we're primarily risk adverse.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. So like what happened for me is when I got out of school, um, I got a job in it and I loved it. I I just thought this is going to be my career. I love computers. I'm just going to stay doing this. And then after about 10 years, I mean, my stomach started turning every time I had to look at a or Unix command line. I mean, I was just done with it. I was burned out. <laughs> um, what advice would you give for people to try to avoid that situation? You know, so you got a 22-year-old, 25-year-old just getting out of college, getting mm-hmm. started in a career. Um, what advice would you have to maybe try to avoid that burnout? Um, do you recommend having maybe a long-range plan? Um, do you recommend maybe keeping other interests going on the side? So if they ever reach a point where they f- just feel like they need to leave their current career, they've got something to fall back on.
2: Yeah, I I, I like the long range plan idea, and I I think for a few reasons, right? I think I think when you have that ten year, fifteen year plan, you're able to get a better idea of how all the pieces fit together, and you know, so say you have, say you have, uh, you know, you want to be, what do you want to be VP of someday of, of a certain company or whatever. Right. And you may absolutely hate the job that you have right now, but then you can ask yourself, well, is it possible that this job could serve as a stepping stone to the next, to the next, to the next, and keep building on that. And I think that, I think that that can make that current job you have more palatable, um, you know, so that's one, that's one way to look at it, I think. Um, I think the other advantage with having a long-term plan though, is that you're, it, it forces you to regularly check in so that you don't get so far down the line that, you know, now I'm, now I'm 50 years old working in this job and feeling burnt out rather than now I'm 20 years old working in this job and I feel burned out. You know, I, I think that, I think you have, it's easier to pivot um, by a greater degree when you're 20
0: versus
1: when you're 50. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's great. Um, Just drawing a little bit from, I know we're getting close to an hour, just one last quick question for me, drawing a little bit again, from my experience. One of the issues I ran into when I was younger is I was a arrogant prick (laughs) and (laughs) I thought I knew it all. And uh, it, it hurt my career early on. Uh, You know, I probably screwed up opportunities for promotions um, and just because I got the wrong people mad at me. So
2: what advice would you have for someone like that? Oh man. Well, so basically just, just someone that kind of more, more arrogant or more quick tempered or, or, uh, both. Sort of both yeah. Both. Sort of both. Yeah.
1: I think the the arrogance led to a quick temper. Um, it was mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, I, this is so easy. I can't believe why you're not getting it. You know, you're stupid, things like that. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. I think I think humility is hard to learn and I think it takes time to learn, right? And I, I and I you know, I mean when I was 20, I was I'm, I'm I'm remember I was probably quite arrogant too. Um, you know, and I didn't get really truly humble until maybe 10 15 years down the line. Um so I think just read as much as you can. Read about other people's experience, but read things that will maybe build some empathy too, mm-hmm. you know, and I think there's content out there that, that can help with that. I think that, you know, I think Paul, I don't remember if you and I talked about Marcus Aurelius' meditations or not, but yeah. you know, having that awareness that life, life is really, really short. And there, you know, I mean, if we're not here to help help one another and build each other up, why are we here? And I think that that realization can maybe help curb that, uh, that arrogance and that quick temper.
1: Yeah, awesome. Where where were you twenty five years ago, thirty years ago?
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> You'd be passing out Marcus Aurelius books and all the uh, corporate boardrooms, right? Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, so uh, I, I know we've yeah we're we're coming up on the hour, but uh, I, I guess before we go, I wanted to ask a few more questions. Sure. Um, so, uh, well, first of all, when are you planning on completing and publishing the book?
2: So initially I was targeting, I want to say mid-July. Um, I got a bit more to do on it. So I would say certainly no later than than uh, early August.
0: Early August. Okay. Yeah. Exciting. I, I think that's it's great too. You have a lot of people that are coming out of internships, uh, going back to school, give them something to think about. You got people that maybe have just started their career and they're now starting to ask questions three months in. So it mm-hmm. sounds like a perfect time. Um and, and are you primarily promoting it on, is it going to be an ebook? Is it going to be, um, you know, uh, uh, I guess Kindle print on demand? What's your approach there?
2: Yeah. So I think the initial approach, I'm just going to use, uh, what is it, KDP? I think mm-hmm. they call it so just, just by way of the Kindle. Um, I yeah. wouldn't mind either doing myself or getting somebody to do a uh, uh, audible, um, yep. audio book for it too. And then, but I do want to make it print on demand too. So I, I need to, I need to research some of that and figure out how to do that. But yeah, that's okay. my plan though.
0: Awesome. And then primarily promoting on Twitter or you have some other places you're, you're going to be uh, taking to the masses?
2: You know, interesting. So I'm thinking for sure Twitter, but I've been reading a lot about Facebook ads too. And I'm debating maybe putting some Facebook ads together for it. Okay. It's such a, it's, it, it's such a low cost of entry to get those ads going that, you know, I think it'd be worth it to try it anyway.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well good deal. Um well I guess wisdom, is there anything that we didn't ask that you that you thought, hey, you know, I'm coming on today I'd I'd want to share with you guys.
2: Uh no, I, I, I think this is a great conversation and and really enjoyed uh getting to know you guys better and visiting with you. So appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, and we'll uh we'll link to your Twitter profile
1: and I see here you've got a link tree also, so we'll link to that. Um any other Anything else you want us to link to in the show notes?
2: No, I think that's, that's probably it for now. So, um, but yeah, just, uh, just keep me, uh, keep me posted on what's going on in y'all's lives and, and we'll, we'll stay in touch. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: I, yeah and I want to, I want to bring you back after you've been able to, uh, to get out and com- communicate with the masses and hear about some of the feedback you got on the book. Uh, it sounds like a, a great tool. I, I, you know, just in the last year, I had people reaching out to me asking for advice, and I, I'd love to be able to point them to something like this. Um, the need is real, so mm-hmm. uh, I think you're going to be serving a good market and uh, oh, helping well, a lot of people. Thank you. Oh, That's awesome.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to come back anytime.
0: All right, all right. Well, thank you, Wisdom, uh, for everyone out there. I hope you enjoyed the this uh, this episode. I think you got a lot of gems. Uh, I talked about a lot of things I wasn't even thinking about before we we got on. So this was awesome. So. Uh, wherever you are, check us out on uh, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, uh, you know, and, and on our website, mentallyinscripted.com. And uh, until next time, take care. Have a good, be safe. Cheers.